Western cultures functions it says look Jesus should be the center of your life at church but when you go to the business place then Jesus doesn't have to be your Lord there because there's other rules that apply and so what we end up having is we end up having a life that is disintegrated where Jesus isn't the center of everything and because of that we have godly people who are choosing to live in ungodly ways because there's areas of their lives where Jesus is not the center Integrity. Deep down, we long to be seen as someone who will do what is right, even when it's hard or unpopular. As Pastor Daniel shares in today's edition of Jesus is Real Radio, many people who walk with God relegate their faith to only certain areas of their life. But God wants to be at the center of everything. When you integrate your faith into every aspect of your world, God will help and guide you so that you can be a person of integrity. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 2 as he continues his message, Camping Map. In verse 10, we get the south side. Look at what it says. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Elazar, the son of Shedeur, and his army was numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shelemiel, the son of Zeradishadai, and his army was numbered at 59,300. And then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad shall be Elisaphath, and the son of Reuel. And his army shall be numbered at 46,650, all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Reuben, 151,450, they shall be the second to break camp. So now on the south side, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Now don't miss, Reuben, of course, was Jacob's firstborn son to Leah, Right? Then after that, he's joined by Sibion, who is the second son. And then, of course, then you have Gad, who was the first son of Leah's maid, Zilpah. Now, you'll notice we've seen the fourth, five, and sixth sons in the first camp. Now we see the first and second, but you'll notice that Levi, who is the third son, is not there. And we're going to talk about him in a second. So I want you just to notice, so on the east side and on the south side, you have all of Leah's sons minus Levi, because we're going to get to him in a second and how he's going to be arranged. And again, 151,400. So all this is, is it's the numbers that we found in chapter one, and now they're arranged by east side, south side, we're going to see west, uh, west and north side, all around the tabernacle meeting. All the numbers are the same, but now we're just getting the camping diagram. So it's pretty simple. Now in verse 17, look at what it says. And the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps as they camp, so they shall move out everyone in his place by their standards. Now, 
Now we get the Levites. We're going to see them more at the end of the chapter. But think about what goes on when it's time to break camp. First, the one that Judah's leading on the east side. Then the one that Reuben is leading on the south side. And then the Levites with the tabernacle of meeting. And then you're going to have the other two sets of tribes. So not only is God supposed to be at the center when they're stationary, God is supposed to be at the center as they travel and as they go on out to war. So the way this is designed for the children of Israel, and I believe it's an absolute picture for your life and my life, is that no matter what goes on, God needs to be the center of our lives. He needs to be. But listen, you know what's going on? Looking at the way our culture functions is that now in the way Western cultures functions, it says, look, Jesus should be the center of your life at church. But when you go to the business place, then Jesus doesn't have to be your Lord there because there's other rules that apply. And so what we end up having is we end up having a life that is disintegrated where Jesus isn't the center of everything. And because of that, we have godly people who are choosing to live in ungodly ways because there's areas of their lives where Jesus is not the center, where God does not get that place of centrality through which every decision is made. And what I have found is that maybe you're like, well, that doesn't happen to me in the business world. For a lot of people, it happens when it relates to their money or their sexuality. Those are big battlegrounds, I believe, in our culture to put Jesus at the center, where you could say, I am going to put Jesus at the center of the way that I steward the body that God has given me. I'm here to tell you, if you are unmarried, then having sexual relations with someone of the same sex as you, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, or the opposite sex, if you don't, you have to take that out of the menu. Because if Jesus is at the center of your sexuality, then that goes off the menu. It's not an option. Now, if you're here and you're married, then any sexual relations with anybody, whether in person or on the internet, other than your spouse, that has to go off the menu, right? And with your spouse, you need to let Jesus be the center of that as well. How many marriages have we invited Jesus's, but not into our intimacy? As if Jesus doesn't belong there. Oh, you see how much you miss out on if you remove Jesus from the center with the way that we handle our own finances. I'm here to tell you, you cannot get yourself in exploding debt if Jesus is at the center of your finances. You know why? Because Jesus will say, listen, that is not going to satisfy you and you're going to be more stressed out being in debt. So you know what? I love you. I want you to honor me and I want you to make good decisions because money isn't your God and things aren't your God. And how many of us are still, you don't have to raise your hand, are working through making a whole series of bad decisions, hoping that material things are going to satisfy you? Now, those are just two examples, but I'm sure in each one of our lives, there are areas where we're like, yeah, Jesus really is in the center of that part of my life. And I'm here to tell you today, this is driving us to the reality that whether they are stationary or on the move, Jesus needs to be the center. God belongs smack dab at that center place through which everything is oriented. Now, I say that, but I follow Jesus too. And I know what goes on. 
You're like, yeah, I need to do that. Yep, this is the area. But then what happens? Then we get up, we say amen after the benediction. We go on out and nothing changes. So this is what I want you to do. Whatever your area is, I want you to write it down. Or grab your phone, send yourself a text. This is my area. And you need to make a plan after service. You need to say, this is how I'm going to get at seeing this area where Jesus doesn't get center stage, and I'm going to work on it. And I'm going to invite people who love God and who love me into it by sharing, hey, this is my area. Because there's nothing worse than hearing the word agreeing with it, and then going out and not acting on it. And I'm not sharing this in like, hey, I don't struggle with it too. I'm, God is calling me on the carpet. Like, hey, you need to act on that. I'm convicting you because I love you, and I'm not finished with you yet because you're still in process, but I need you to put legs on this thing. So I'm just passing along what God's teaching me. Man, make a plan. Don't just say yes and then go home and let it continue the way it is. In order to start to change the rhythms of your life, you have to decide you're going to change it. You have to make a plan on how you're going to change it. The old saying, if you fail to plan, what? You plan to fail. God wants to be at the center of the children of Israel, whether they're stationary and camping or on the movie. He says, look, this is how you're going to go. Judas and, and those guys are going to go first. Reuben and those guys are going to go second. And because I get the center stage, I'm going in the middle. With the Levites carrying all these attributes and furniture and the tent of the tabernacle of meeting. And so he's saying, look, I need to be in the center. I'm going to arrange it so I'm at the center. And what we'll find is that the children of Israel actually do this. But you and I need to make a decision and say, God, I want you to do this in my life. I do want to change, and I know it's going to be hard. It's not going to come naturally. I've been doing it this way for so long. But we need to take little baby steps, like what about Bob? You guys remember what about Bob? That intro scene on what about Bob is, I mean, it's, it's hard to watch. It takes him like a half hour just to get out the door because he doesn't like dirt. And so it's like, he's just like, how does he even open up his own door, you know? And finally he gets out, and you're like, yes, he got out. But in a lot of ways, we need to take those baby steps. We need to say, okay, Lord, this is an area that I want you to work on. I'm going to make a plan to put you in the center of this area of my life. This is how I'm going to get at that. But you have the six tribes go, and then the tabernacle is in the center. Now in verse 18, look at what it says. On the west side shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim, according to their armies, and the leader of the children of Ephraim shall be Elishema, the son of Amahud. Now, I, I like those two names. I'm just going to be honest with you. So if you're, if you're having boys, those of you of a child-rearing age, or if God blesses some of you um, more seasoned sisters to be like um, Sarah, God can do it. We have great names here. They're not common in circulation, but Elishema. And Amahud is great names. I like Amahud personally. I just call him Hood. Anyway, verse 19. Because you got, you got, well, listen, when you have baby names, you got to think about the nicknames, right? And so I mean, any little dude would like to be called Hood. Yeah, right? All the guys are like, yeah, that's kind of that's cool. I can, I can roll with that. So anyway, verse 19. And, and his army shall be numbered 40,500. Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh, the leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedahazur, 
and his army was numbered at 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin. The leader of the children of Benjamin will be Abidan, the son of Gedeoni, and his army shall be numbered at 35,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Ephraim, 180,100, they shall be the third to break camp. Now, on the west side, you have what you could call the Rachel tribes, because you have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Now, why are they the Rachel tribes? Because Ephraim and Manasseh were the sons of who? Were the sons of Joseph, or was the son of Rachel. So you notice you have the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and then you have Benjamin, who was the son who was born as Rachel was dying. Now, you'll notice they're on the west side. Their banner was that of the ox. And according to verse 24, it's 108,100. Now, if you were to read your whole Old Testament in an evening, which... I don't know that any of us could actually do that in one evening, just get through the whole thing. That would be a pretty long evening, even for the fastest reader of us. But by the time you get to the prophets, you'll notice that you'll hear about Judah and Ephraim. If you read the book of Isaiah, it's normally characterized as Judah and Ephraim. Now, most of you know that after David was the king, then Solomon became the king and the kingdom expanded. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, made a bunch of bad decisions, and it split the kingdoms. The 10 northern tribes went with a man named Jeroboam, and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, stayed with the Davidic line or the line of David and Solomon with Rehoboam. Now, as time went on, the 10 northern tribes were called Israel, and the two southern tribes were called Judah. But by the time you get to the prophet Isaiah and some of the other prophets, you find that instead of calling it Israel, they start calling it Ephraim. Why? Because Ephraim was the largest single tribe. So you'll notice that on the east side is the tribe of Judah, which you end up getting the name Judah, the southern two tribes. And then on the west side, you have Ephraim, who ultimately was Jacob's younger son, but he was chosen again of his older, ahead of his older brother Manasseh. Remember that? Remember when Jacob goes to bless Ephraim and Manasseh? What does Jacob do? He's like playing patty cake, you know? You guys remember that story? Genesis chapter 48, when Joseph sets him up so the right hand goes to the older son and Jacob goes, ah, I'm dad, I can do what I want, you know? And he blesses the younger instead of the older, which, as we've talked about many times, is a common occurrence in the Old Testament, isn't it? Where God subverts the normal way of doing things to suit his own purpose, where you have Isaac chosen instead of Ishmael. You have Jacob being chosen instead of Esau. You have ultimately Judah and Joseph having the place of primacy instead of Reuben. And then when it comes time to bless the sons of Joseph, Ephraim gets the blessing instead of Manasseh. Why? Because God is still sovereign over human laws. God can subvert those laws when he wants to. Because he's God. Now, it probably needs to be said. God does not have to do what we want him to do. 
I think this is the hardest part about following God, especially in a self-centered culture where I'm allowed to choose everything I want. I can go to um, any restaurant and I'm like, hey, I want it this way, this way, this way, and this way, right? Hey, can I have that? But instead of having that, can I have this and that, you know? And you get so used to everything being catered to you that we end up saying, God, this is what I want. And then we don't get it. You're like, well, Lord, I'm really mad at you because I asked you for this thing and you didn't give me that. And I think one of the main reasons people struggle with the reality of who God is in our culture is because God is not Burger King. He won't do it our way. And each one of us, I believe, has to learn how to surrender and say, God, not my will, but what? But yours be done. We have to say, God, I'm going to take myself off of the place where it's all about me, where I'm the center. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to learn how to trust you and to trust that your way is wiser than my way. And I'm sure there's many people here today. You're struggling in your relationship with God because God is not doing what you want him to. God is not doing the thing that you're like, Lord, if I do this, this, and this, you're going to do that. You ever kind of make those deals with God? Like, well, I'm going to do these things, and then you're going to do that. And it's not like God's like, okay. You just assume that because we said it, God's like, yeah, okay. We'll play it your way. But God never works that way. Ever. Has any of you ever made one of those deals with God and it actually worked out? No, right? It's just, you know, and it's not because God's like, oh, yeah, that's the way you want to play. Well, I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to do it. You know, he's not mean about it. But a lot of times I think what we end up doing is we start saying, it's about what I want. And we think of God as a cosmic vending machine. And that is not a relationship with God. That is a reflection of ourselves and our desires with a Jesus veneer. That's nasty, isn't it? I don't even know what I said. I just know it hurt when I said it. See, we can't, think of, we can't think that God exists to give us everything we want. See, God exists to glorify himself and bless humanity. And so God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we have to learn how to say, God, it's not what I want. It's what you want. God, it's not about me getting everything I think I deserve. It's about, God, what are you doing and how do I move through that? You can imagine Ishmael, Esau, Manasseh, all being like, well, I'm the firstborn. This is my blessing. I'm supposed to be the one who gets this, but God's doing something totally different. And we have to learn how to trust him and his perfect plans. Did Jacob know that Ephraim was going to be the largest of the tribes? I don't think so, but God did. And that's why Jacob blessed them, because God had a plan. Now, in verse 25, notice what it says. The standard of the forces of Dan will be on the north side, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahazir, the son of Amishadai. And his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be of the tribe of Asher, and the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pagiel, the son of Akron, and his army shall be numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali, 
And the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enon. And his army was numbered at 53,400. All were numbered of the forces with Dan, 157,600. They shall break camp with their standards. So now on the north side, you have Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. The banner was that of an eagle. Now, Dan was the first son of Bilhah, who was the maidservant of Rachel. Asher was the second son of Zilpah, who was the maidservant of Leah. And Naphtali was the second son of Bilhah. Now, they're on the north side, 157,600 on the north. So, you'll notice we have 12 tribes, four sets of three. But of course, you notice that the tribe of Levi we have left out. Look at what it says in verses 32 to 34. It says, these are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were 603,550, but the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's house. Now, these verses conform and summarize to what we saw at the end of Numbers chapter 1. We get the same numbers as we saw as Numbers chapter 1, verse 46. Now we just have a different arrangement. And it says that the Levites were not numbered just as the Lord commanded Moses. And we're going to see there's going to be a unique numbering and arranging of the tribe of Levi. Why? Because the Levites were not responsible to go to war. They were responsible for the care of the tabernacle of meeting. So in the camping around, instead of having Joseph as one tribe and Levites camping a certain place, you have Ephraim and Manasseh. Why? Because the Levites, their whole function is going to be to care for the tabernacle of meeting. And each one of the sons of Levi is going to have a very specific set of jobs. Now, to preempt our study next week and an application I'm going to make, what we find with this is this. We are called to be a body, and in our bodies, everybody has different roles. Your eyes have roles. That sounds really weird. Your mouth should have roles, right? The eyes have a function. The ears have a function. The mouth have a function. The hands have a function. The feet have a function. The internal organs have a function. Right, And what we learn, even from the arranging of the children of Israel, with the Levites not having a specific camping spot because their job is to take care of the tabernacle of meeting, is that every single one of us in the body of Christ has a function. Jesus is real. Are there areas of your life that your walk with God doesn't really touch? Today, Pastor Daniel asked you to consider where you're keeping God at arm's length. But it's not enough to only recognize these parts of your life. You need to take action. Pastor Daniel encouraged you to make a plan of how to include God in these particular areas. You were reminded that inviting others to help you in this process is key in being able to see your plan through. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. 
Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel gives you insight into God's design for how his people should interact. You'll learn that God wants us to build into each other, those who've walked with the Lord longer, helping the people who are newer in their faith. Pastor Daniel will also explain that each person has a different role in the body and that all are important. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.